you're very welcome along to the gardening programme here on Midwest Radio. We are on the 11th of May. Porrick, good morning good to morning. you. Good morning, Deirdre. Good morning, listeners. Yeah. What a beautiful start to the morning. Isn't it a great yeah, start altogether? Great. Lovely, lovely morning altogether. And the week is promised excellent. I think that's nice a pretty positive forecast that it we've is, just given sure there. <laughs> I know a little cool at night uh, yeah, and tonight maybe particularly and there, that that is still prevailing, I suppose, at the moment. It but is a feature and, and it's had been a feature all of this week. It started, I suppose, last this day, last week. We had our, our first frost, our first, I think you and I were chatting about the frost actually on Saturday morning. I think I had to get a drop of hot water for the windscreen. Did, yes, And we've had frost through this week and you'll see it, uh, I've had lots and lots of calls during the week in relation to frost damage on things like beech trees and laurel hedging and forest flame and sycamore trees and anything that has produced I suppose a flush of new growth in the last um, week to 10 days with the heavy frost at night time has blackened or burned the tops of them. So potatoes, for example, have been anybody that has had planted potatoes early and they've come through the soil, of course, that the tops of them are, so, are frost sensitive and can be damaged. And, and of course, anybody that put bedding plants out early, particularly the sensitive varieties like begonias or bisalizzies mm. or geraniums or French marigolds will notice frost damage on those as well. Now, where it pertains to things like trees and hedging and plants like uh, Pieris forest flame and, and uh, any of those, they would be perfectly fine. It's only the young growth that has actually been affected. The older wood is still perfectly fine. And you'll find that with Grisellinia, for example, often gets that the young leaves get blackened in um, April and early May when we get some late frost. So that's what people are seeing at the moment. So my advice really for hedging plants and trees and shrubs, it's nothing to worry about. They will kick back into growth again. You can give them a light trimming if you wish just to take out off the blackness, the blackness or the, the, the damaged foliage. Mm-hmm. That will help to stimulate some new growth as well. But also feed your plants now. And this weekend would be an ideal time to get out and put on some tree and shrub fertiliser that will uh, replace that lost energy, I suppose, and kick the plants back into growth again. So any of anything that's damaged like that is, will be perfectly fine and come back again. Potatoes will reshoot again beneath the soil. It's going to set them back for two to three weeks but they have plenty of buds and they've been growing for the last three or four weeks or five weeks beneath the soil. They've rooted really well and they'll reshoot again. So it's a, it's a kind of a temporary setback, I suppose, and sets the spuds back for maybe a fortnight. But overall, it's not really going to affect the, the cropping. Um, bedding plants, so if people have soft bedding plants like busy lizzies and put them out, and we did warn people not to put them out too early, uh, they possibly will be damaged beyond repair. Okay. So it depends <laughs> how... So I just have well, a I look at those. I see a few questions in, in yeah. that nature. So yeah, yeah, or things like tomato plants if they put them, put them out early. Because we had a combination between the frost and then we had that northerly wind, which was quite chilling. I mean, some of the evenings were quite cold. Yeah. Um, so uh, that has, has certainly set plants back. So look, at if you see browning, like for example, on my Japanese maples, they came into leaf beautifully two weeks ago. And of course, the tops of them are slightly burnt, but they're perfectly fine within, give them a feed. Within a couple of weeks, they'll kick back into growth again, particularly this week now. You'll see lots of young, fresh growth coming back on plants again. So if you have tender plants, and remember that frost can penetrate through a greenhouse or a tunnel. Um, so if you have the pl- tender plants, cover them with fleece at night time. 
because the frost, it's at night time. Or bring your window boxes back in, put them out during the day and just take them in during the evening. And it'll only last for another week or two. Once we hit into June, the risk of frost is, is really past at that stage. We're just being caught with that. It's kind of a combination when you get that high pressure coming in, the yeah. lovely dry days, then the nights, of course, we've got clear skies and all that heat just evaporates evaporates yeah mm. dissipates and and uh, the frost of course settles and it is a grass frost which means it's it's literally just sitting on the top of the grass so anything at ground level um or close to ground level gets affected okay so the garden fleece is a great way of keeping it keeping the so that's the first thing and hydrangeas i noticed my own hydrangeas as well they're slightly burnt the tips of them so any of those plants are sensitive and we don't often expect it on beech trees and sycamore trees and laurel hedging we think they're hardy and tough we do yes but it's just that young fresh growth that is just a little bit sensitive to frost and cold winds so things like forest flame uh, the fact that they're burnt that's the plant with a beautiful pink and new growth that has been burnt back, but it'll kick into growth again, particularly if you feed it. It's also the time of year, Deirdre, for planting lilacs, and you'll see them in flower at the moment. I've noticed everywhere. them in the last week or two, yeah. There's a, a great bit of colour from them. And it's carrying on that theme, I suppose, and the white thorn this year is absolutely covered in flowers. Mm. And it's carrying on that theme that we said um, that spring will be full of colour and the lilacs certainly are, are producing lots of really good uh, colour at the moment. This is a good time of year to plant lilacs. If you want something a little bit different, there's a lovely white variety called Alice Hardling. Okay. Like, she was a like famous, a famous oh, yeah? gardener. In the, in the States, yeah, and had a passion for lilacs in particular. Her husband, Edward and, and Alice, um, grew lilacs and propagated lilacs and other many plants as well. But she was a renowned gardener and, and hence, her, I think her husband actually named the variety after her. After her. So that's one called Alice Harding. A very nice variety, beautiful white flowers, highly scented really easy to grow and this is the time of year to plant lilacs in the garden. People were asking me about the pruning of lilacs as well during mm. the week and like all spring flowering plants you prune them after flowering so don't touch them, enjoy them enjoy at the them. moment and then if there's any pruning to be done and feeding is done after flowering. Continue to plant herbs and veg so most of our vegetable plants, things like the cauliflowers and, and cabbages and lettuce plants and all that are, are frost hardy, they can go out, there's no danger um, to those so they can be planted out and indeed most of our herbs, possibly with the exception of basil, can be planted out of doors at this time of year. So rosemary and thyme and all of those, lemon balm, that you're going to use during the summer months, they can go out into the garden mm. soil or into pots and containers. Um, so it's still that time of year for the sowing of vegetable plants and indeed seed. You know, we're not, it's not too late yet. There's still six or eight weeks um, to sow the seeds of plants as well. And you mentioned temperatures of 20 degrees. So seeds well, tomorrow are, anyway, yes. They're going to jump out of the ground. Yeah. Great. So are the weeds, but <laughs> anything you sow from well, seed... Well, we'll be ready. We'll be ready. Yeah, and anything you sow from seed at this time of year germinates really, really quickly. So all of the vegetable plants, the cut and come lettuce, the cabbage varieties, even think about kind of thinking about autumn, things like kale, Brussels sprouts, um, parsnips, the type of vegetables we use in the autumn and winter, they're sown from seed at this time of the year, swathes and turnips. Um, so it's, it's still plenty of time and soil conditions are improving all the time. And speaking about the sowing of seeds, this is the time of year as well for, think about bloom. Bloom is going to be in three weeks' time. And the plants we associate with bloom are things like lupins, delphiniums, the lovely foxgloves, poppies, lavender, all those summer flowering, mm. early summer flowering plants. They can be sown from seed at this time of year. 
So if you sow them from seed, you can sow them directly out into the garden soil or you can sow them in trays or pots or containers. And with temperatures of 15 to 20 degrees, they will germinate in a two to three week period. And will you have flowers from them this year? No. No. But I didn't think it was a short, have really short turnaround. Plants. Yeah, and, and perennial plants... Um, Perennial plants by their nature are plants that come back year after year. So you have them for many, many years, like the lupins, like the delphiniums, um, the, the, the lovely chrysanthemums. But they're sown from seed now. They use the rest of the summer then to bulk up and become really strong and, and um, you know, put on lots of foliage. And then they went over winter outside, of course, in the, in the garden. They're frost hardy and they come into flower then in early summer mm-hmm. of next year. So it's that little bit of, of forward planning that we associate with gardening the sowing and reaping principles. Yes. So if you want your lupins for next year, um, then this is the time of year to sow them from seed. And of course, they're very successful. They're easy to grow um, and you've got the perfect temperatures at the moment. So you don't have to be coaxing them on indoors and in seed, you know, on on bright windowsills. You can literally sow them out of doors. So things like primulas, the geums, which are lovely, and foxgloves, there's a lovely one called Pam Split, which is a bicolor, two-color variety. Salvia, which which is an underrated plant in my book. So salvia is in the sage family. And you might might remember I spoke about it Last week, yeah, I, I know, because I, I, it's not a plant I was terribly familiar with. Well, it's it's favoured by bees, so it's so there's the annual salvia, which has got the bright red flowers, which only lasts one year. But there's a perennial variety that comes back year after year. It's a really great bee plant. It's actually coming into flower at the moment as we speak. It comes in shades of pink and purple, a bluish purplish colour. But I took pictures of it. I took a video actually of it in the Phoenix Park in Dublin in October, last October. Mm-hmm. So it flowered from May. Until Until October. October. And in October, it looked like it was the middle of the summer. There was that amount of flower colour still on the salvia. And it was absolutely covered in bees. It's a dwarf plant. It only grows about a foot in height. um, Kind of covers the ground. But it's um, you can buy it as plants now, but you can also sow it from seed at this time of year. So for people that are interested in bees and looking after bees, think about the salvia. Purple fairy tail is one variety, but there's lots of other varieties as well, both in pinks and purples. And again, speaking of seeds, this is the time of year to sow wildflower seed. So again, if you want a wildflower meadow or wildflower patch, which is becoming very trendy Well, <laughs> at the it, it, I mean, it's, it's a great way of filling a space, you know, and it's, sometimes it can take a lot of work to fill a space. But this is, if it's anything significant at all, um, and maybe off the, off the, the main thoroughfare off there. the beaten yeah, track yeah. absolutely if you've it's, got a, it's really lovely if you have a spare piece of ground in the garden the wildflower is a really really good idea and I think I was telling you a couple of weeks ago that Jerry Daly run a great, wrote a great article in the Independent on uh, encouraging people to leave their lawn to let the weeds flower let the dandelions flower yes. of the day maybe cut it every two to three weeks rather than cutting it every week um, but certainly the sowing if you want to put in a little bit of fl- wildflower seed again this is the time some of the varieties will come into flower this year the annual varieties like the annual um, poppies and cornflowers and oxide daisy. So wildflower seed tends to be a mixture of annual and perennial varieties. So you've got some that will flower this year, others like I mentioned the lupins and swan that will bulk up this year and then flower the following summer. And I always think it's, it's nice then in the autumn to put in some spring flowering bulbs into the wildflower area because you get that extended flowering period from February right through to the end of the summer. Okay. So they're the sort of things I mean, you know, like there's lots to do 
I suppose, in the garden at the moment. We're in that very busy time in May when people are planting lots of vegetables, they're sowing lots of seed, they're doing up their hanging baskets and window boxes. Um, they're really preparing for summer colour. And if you do want to plant the garden with a sense of bloom, thinking about bloom in three weeks' time, well, now is the time because you can buy lupin plants that will be flowering in three weeks' time if you want, or say, or the salvias or the delphiniums, the foxgloves, they're all available as plants That's that were sown. Last year. Last year, <laughs> by the nursery <laughs> Well, I suppose men. what you could do is, if you were looking for something fairly instantaneous, exactly. you could put in a few plants, but you could sow a few seeds as well, and then you'd have the thing exactly. covered for the two years. Yeah, and, and like yeah. seeds are great value when you think about yeah. it. You know, you'll get a couple of hundred seeds in a pack for a couple of euros, and they're a great fun way of raising plants in a very cheap and effective way. So they're the sort of things. Do keep an eye out for pests as well. I've noticed quite a lot of aphids around right. this year. Caterpillars are beginning to appear as well, with a little bit of kind of, um, I suppose, reason dry weather we've been having but particularly things like um, roses, lupins any new growth on plants just check them for aphids because there's lots of them around boxwood for example uh, a lot light. of boxwood has the little grey aphid right. so if you if you just brush the plants or just give them a, a small rub you'll see the, the little grey aphid um, you kind of have to look for it to see it but generally uh, they're sap sucking so they're taking the energy out of the plants on boxwood so check your roses check plants that have come into growth put on new growth and there's quite a bit of of aphids and it's really just down to the very mild winter that we enjoyed this year. Nothing killed them off. No, it didn't. It didn't really. So they're the type of things, um, look, there's lots to be done but uh, they're the type of things to kind of focus on. With the heat coming, the weeds are going to pop as well. So get out with the garden hoe, get on top of them, keep the the garden clean as much as possible and and, um, obviously keep the lawns trimmed and all those kind of all those kind of things, and you've brought in what you've described as a, a super simple, easy plant to grow. It is. I actually had this boot in the boot of the car, and um, I, I said I'd bring it in because it filled my car with scent, and I can smell it from here. It's a beautiful plant. So this is a plant called Nemesia. It's a really easy patio plant. So it's ideal for, say, a pot or a container. It's in flower at the moment, but it's got this fantastic vanilla scent. And you'll smell it feet away. So at a patio door or somewhere like that, it flowers from May again right through to September, October. It comes in shades of red, bicolours, purple and cream, white. This is a white variety. This is one called Wisley Vanilla. But it comes in a whole range of different colours as well. Many of the varieties are scented. But if you want to just a simple, easy plant, you stick it in a pot, you water it, give it an occasional feed. I can guarantee you that plant will not go out of flower between now and October. Really? Yeah. So okay. you can and bring it lovely, home. Lovely. You can tell us how it's doing. <laughs> so it's really easy. Yeah, it's a it's a, a super simple, easy plant. So it's an amicia. It is frost hardy. There's no problem putting it out at this time of year. Um, suitable for a patio pot kind of in a sunny area, close to a door or a window where you get that fantastic just, scent. Yeah. And you can actually pick the flowers as well and bring them inside if you wish, just, just okay. you know, for, the, for yeah. the fun of it. Because they're not, hu- they're not huge stems or anything. They're not, as, not a typical cut flower, yeah. no, a short stems. But it's an interesting plant to give to people. I always think scent of plants, so I always get a great reaction when you you give somebody a flower yeah, that yeah. is a fabulous scent yeah. or foliage with fabulous scent because straight away they're going... Ooh, and Anne. Yeah. And, you know, it does, that's interesting. It does it create an action. extra level of interest. Of course it does. Yeah, of yeah. course it does. So that's a plant to look out for. Nemesia, they come in a whole range of different colours. They're beautiful. That particular one, Wisley Vanilla. Wisley Vanilla. Nice. Well, it it's, definitely lives up to its name, smell-wise, anyway. Yeah, and fantastic. it is beautiful to look at as yeah. well. They're and there's lots flowers. of really good colour available at the moment. If people have special occasions coming up or they need some instant colour, then there's lots of great colour available for planting out. Just going to look at some of those frost questions, uh, Porik, if we may, for... A moment. I know we've covered them to uh, some degree. Specifically, though, um, one person has 
uh, ash has turned black. Uh, basically, they're all fairly mature trees. Uh, sycamore, horse chestnut. Uh, the trees are between five and 20 years old. Sown as a hedgerow. Um, and the leaves are all, I suppose, I seem it's to be just affected. Young, yeah, it? but it's just the young leaves. So it's, it's, it's uh, like I said, it's just that young growth, that fright, that that flush of young growth that came on and the frost has settled on it and, and burnt the tops of them. And look at it, I'm seeing it on, on mature beech hedging, on laurel and grisolinia, on trees like sycamore and ash. So it's it's nothing to worry about. If you want, give them a feed. The new growth will be perfectly fine. It's only going to be a temporary setback. It's nothing to worry about. Now, It'll be fine. advice on growing carrots in coastal areas. Well, there's... Are, I, I there, are there extra precautions to not, take? Not particularly. The, the uh, carrots enjoy the coast just as much as we do. <laughs> so um, the, one, the one beneficial thing you have in coastal areas is generally you have a sandy soil and carrots absolutely love that. They hate a stony, rocky type soil because they become deformed. So they love kind of seaside, uh, sandy, moory type soil is where carrots really, because they can obviously penetrate down into the soil. They also enjoy seaweed. So seaweed as a fertilizer is brilliant for carrots. Generally carrots, you don't put organic matter on them like farmer manure or horse manure because it causes them to fork. It actually scorches the the young root and you get this forking effect where fresh manure is used. So seaweed is, is ideal for planting carrots in. So in coastal areas, you do exactly the same thing as you would inland. Um, just sow them at this time of year. Do protect them against the carrot root fly and you can do that. Um, I think we had another question in somebody looking for uh, uh, prevention for yes. the carrot root fly. So the prevention is quite simple. You can easy, either use the physical barrier like the netting, the environment mesh netting which you put over them that creates a physical barrier, barrier to stop the carrot root fly getting into. Or you can use the organic... Um, root treatment uh, is actually made from garlic and it's very, very effective uh, both on cabbage root fly and also on carrot root fly. So the, the listener would sow the seeds, let the seeds germinate. When they're four to six inches high, simply mix the root fly treatment into a watering can, apply it onto the foliage and that'll prevent any damage. But see, carrots go equally as well at the sea as they do anywhere else. And if anything, the soil tends, a little bit better. tends to be better and you can use seaweed as well as a fertiliser, as a natural fertiliser for them. Okay, now Kevin has received some uh, information from you in uh, past weeks regarding sowing early potatoes in bags and they're doing really well. Great. Very healthy, 12 to 16 inches tall. Okay. So is Watch it too early to talk about blight or should they wait for blight, should you wait for blight warnings or is there anything you can do now to prevent it, uh, like early regular spraying? Yeah, well look at the, the so first of all, watch them Kevin for the blo- for the um Frost. frost. So make sure that they're they're obviously in a, a sheltered area if they haven't received any frost and cover them with fleece and that'll that'll protect them. Blight blight occurs, you, you wait for the blight conditions to occur. And generally blight needs um extensive humid wet weather. And we're not getting that at the moment. We've actually got really non-blight weather, if anything. These cooler, dry temperatures are are um perfect at the moment. So Unless the weather gets humid, there's no need to be spraying for blight. Um, so I would wait for a Met Airing, Airing, uh warning or generally I issue a warning anyway when blight occurs. I, I generally send it in here to the radio station. So I'll be advising people if, if they need to spray for blight. It's generally more June, late May, June, sort of July period. Slightly more humid conditions. Humid, wet, you need kind of rain for, for at least 12 to 15 hours, that kind of misty, mild weather and, and high temperatures. That's because the um, blight spores are carried 
on that on the uh, on the wetness and land on the foliage and that affects them so there's no point in spraying them now so just leave them alone let them grow on and you may not even have to spray them particularly varieties like um, blue danube and satanta they're all blight resistant and, and unless the weather conditions are horrendous and we have mm. a high degree of blight they're not affected so no need to spray okay, so just enjoy them and if they're early varieties you might actually get away without having to spray them at all if they're varieties like um, the Orl or Colleen or Sharps Express or Home Guard any of those that'll be ready for picking at the end of June Now we have a mock orange that's gone very woody please help Well mock orange is, is Philadelphus it's, it's a plant that's actually coming into flower at the moment so I would leave it and let it flower um, it's actually a, a brilliant bee plant it gets its name mock orange because it smells of oranges so mock as in false. So it doesn't, it doesn't produce oranges, but it no, gives the smell. Unfortunately, <laughs> so it's a false orange. So it produces a beautiful, sweet scent, white flowers, um, and it grows. Generally, they'll grow kind of six to eight feet in height. The time to prune it is after flowering. So let it flower, enjoy the flowers, enjoy the scent, and then about the end of June, that's the time to prune it back. And Philadelphus does respond to pruning and give it a good feed at that time of year, and that will kick it back into growth. And on that growth, it'll flower the following uh, May. So just to sit back and enjoy the flowers and prune it in about a month's time. Now, Tom has asked a question about potato stalks burnt with frost, which I think we've addressed at this yes. stage. Uh, also, though, can we put uh, in a border, or what bedding annuals can we put in a border at the moment? Marigolds, Lobelia and Delicium. Uh, what would you think? I would think Tom, Tom holds off for another two or three okay, weeks. Okay, there we go. Um, now, there are, there are bedding plants that are hardy. So things like anthraniums, the silver cineraria, sweet peas are perfectly fine. White alisum, which he does mention, mm-hmm. is perfectly fine um, out of doors. Um, mimulus is fine. Pansies, violas. So when you're in your local garden centre, ask them for the plants that are frost hardy and some bedding plants are. Others like begonias, bisilizies, French marigolds in particular, um, will be damaged by frost. Salvia will be damaged by frost if you put it out too early. So they're fine to go into pots and containers, but you need to protect them and bring them in at night time or cover them with fleece. But my advice is, look, there's plenty of time. There's no need to be in a rush. You know, June is soon enough to be putting your bedding plants out. You're not really gaining a whole lot by by putting them out too early, particularly with the weather being uh, a little chilly at the moment. But if you're doing up pots and containers, that's perfectly fine because it's easy to to protect those, cover them with fleece or take them them in at night time. So look at when you're buying bedding plants, just ask in your local garden centre, what are the hardy varieties and what are those that need a little bit of frost protection. Okay, and you mentioned begonias there. I did. Unfortunately, Kitty has texted in this morning and has had the misfortune, she says herself, to uh, pot pot up all of her tubs before the long weekend and now the frost has arrived and it has destroyed all her begonias, all 50 of them. Oh my God. Which I feel for you. Uh, So... Wondering, will they come back again or what are the chances? If they're the small kind of... um, the small bedding begonias, the um, Sempervirin begonias, which are the really small flowering ones, they won't come back if they're badly damaged. And um, the tuberous one may reshoot again. Maybe if Kitty could send me a picture actually by yep. WhatsApp. Yes, great. And, and uh, we can, it's 087, isn't it? 900, oh, it's 41, 41, 41, that's it, yeah. And uh, we'll, I'll have a look at them certainly for, and we'll see, you know, slight damage, 
they'll be perfectly fine they'll grow back out of that but it depends just how, how severe the frost, frost was is, and how okay. badly they're damaged okay, well. so that's that's really what we're talking about though if those plants were brought in at night time or just covered with fleece they'd be protected okay somebody's wondering are nematodes available at the moment they are yeah the nematodes are, are now available and the temperatures this week actually will be ideal for putting them on um, so it's the vine weevil um, nematodes that are available at the moment and they they control the cabbage root fly the carrot root fly um, the vine weevil itself wireworm all of those kind of the, the deeper uh, rooting pests okay. that people need to protect against. Now, I have a small greenhouse <coughs> cloche. What tomatoes can I grow in it? It's about four foot high. And is there anything else I can grow? Four feet high. Well, you're, the most most tomato varieties grow kind of five to six. six you need yeah. your kind, and you do need plenty of ventilation for them as well. So, really, my advice is to go for the dwarf varieties. So, tumbler would be quite a good one, which literally tumbles out, planted up into a pot, and it tumbles out the edge of the pot, and it grows about a foot in height, and it produces lovely, kind of slightly bigger than cherry-sized tomato. Or probably my favourite variety is one called Red Profusion, which, as the name suggests, produces a profusion of fruit, but again, it only grows about eighteen inches in height and about two feet in diameter. So they'd be ideal. Um, cucumbers would be quite good if um, they're, they're quite low. Um, and then all the salad crops could be used as well. So the cotton cob lettuce, um, anything that would mature quickly, radishes, for example, would be ideal in it as well. Maybe an aubergine plant, a pepper, a chilli, they'd all work in a, a small, low cloche. Okay. Uh, now, Nora has sent us in a picture, which you've seen already, um, of a, a, an area, a green area, a circle uh, with a lot of shrubbery in it, but yeah. not much colour. No. Wondering what could she add in between the shrubs to add some colour? Yeah, so it's a, it's a collage of, of pre- predominantly green shrubs that are all uh, planted so together. A lovely circle. A lovely circle, yeah, but, <laughs> but quite a lot of green in it. So look, at if you want to, something with a kind of a bit of punchy colour, um, things that are flowering at the moment that would flower right through to the end of the summer, the Uriops is really good. It's got a bright daisy yellow flower. It's in flower at the moment, but it r- flowers again right through to September, October. There's a lovely Scythesis in flower at the moment called Scythesis resmosa, um, which produces bright yellow flowers again at this time of year. It's very colourful. Hydrangeas would be nice. Some of the, particularly the paniculata varieties, vanilla freeze or phantom. So they're bright white or white and pink colours and would give good quite a nice bit of, of um, colour for the summer. And then some of the um, perennials, so things like alstroemerias would be nice, lupins would give you good colour as well. Look at my advice, pop into the local garden centre have a chat and, and fill it up with, with summer flowering um, early summer flowering colour and colour that will flower later on in the year. There's okay. plenty available at the moment. Now, we have a cherry blossom tree in the garden and the roots are coming up through the lawn and it's catching the lawnmower. What should we do about them? They're around eight years old. Will they keep coming up? Yes, they will. Now, and that is the thing with cherries. They are a surface rooting um tree so that you often get that that effect um, where the roots will actually come up to the surface. Now at eight years old they're tap roots so they're well established. My advice really is to put some extra soil around the roots so kind of raise the level of the lawn just around the, the roots because you don't want to be damaging the root um, because the more you damage it the more it'll throw up suckers as well. So my advice is really you can buy actually sieved topsoil so you get a couple of bags of the topsoil, put it around the, the root so that you're actually raising the, lo- the soil, the grass level. And you may need to put a small bit of lawn seed, but you may not, depending on, on the kind of depth 
of, of how much the root mm. has come up. Okay. A couple of inches, the, the grass will actually grow through it. Or you could mix a small bit of lawn seed into the topsoil. So I would just raise the level. The root at this stage at eight years old shouldn't grow much more. It won't um, you know, rise any more out of the lawn. It's probably just protruding by an inch or so. But so an extra remain. bit of topsoil. Mm. But that's characteristics of cherry trees. They are a surface rooting um tree yeah. and, and the roots are just beneath the soil so you often get this kind of raised effect um, and often if they're planted close to tarmacaldum or paving they slabs, yes it will now it, it doesn't protrude too much but it could certainly come up by an inch <clears throat> so Marie, my advice in this in this instant is just raise the soil level slightly with a bit of sieve topsoil and some lawn seed and it'll be perfectly fine. Now a uh, listener says good morning my camellia bush was stripped of leaves by some sheep No. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Is there any hope for them to grow next in new leaves? Yes, they will. They'll be fine. They, they, look at plants when they lose their foliage. And remember, we're chatting about the wind taking leaves off plants, the frost taking leaves off plants, and now's the sheep. So, um, look, at, it will reshoot again. It's, it'll be fine. Give it a couple of feeds. Um, if, if it's likely that the sheep are going to be back, put a, a little bit of the grazer's treatment on the young growth because that'll they'll just like the, the taste of that, that that has calcium in it and any grazing plant, uh, pest or um, sheep or goats or, yeah. or rabbits dislike it. Uh, it's but a bit yeah. of a pain, I know. I know. Uh, and country areas, sometimes they come out, they get this out happens. of where they should but be. But look, at, just feed them. They're, they're, do you know that the camellia plant is actually related to, we, we get our tea leaves from the camellia, camellia sinensis produces. We? Yeah, there's there's an interesting <laughs> tip for you. Okay. So maybe the sheep are, are uh, they're, they're tasting the... Having afternoon tea. Having <laughs> afternoon tea on your camellia plant. So camellia sinensis is actually the uh, the plant that, that in China that they crop the, the tea leaves from. Oh, I didn't and know. Yeah, yeah, on the, young, on the young leaves. So the camellia that flowers in your garden is actually related to that plant. Um, so maybe that the, the uh, sheep... Um, yeah, maybe it's afternoon tea. They're or discerning something. sheep so wherever it, they are. Yeah, give it a couple of liquid feeds. It'll be fine. It'll reshoot again. It'll be it'll be perfectly fine for next year. Obviously, you don't want it continuing. If it if it to continue to damage it, it's it's, it's going go, to it's yeah, go, yeah, yeah. Going to but it's it, only a temporary a setback. Now I'm thinking of sowing some wildflowers in a shaded area. Will this work, or are they only suitable in sunny border areas? Well, most of the varieties do require sun. Having said that, you can again ask in your local garden centre. There are uh, wildflower seeds. Again, I suppose the analogy is like tea. It's it's a mixture of different varieties. So you can get a, um, a box of shade-loving wildflowers. Right. So there's a, a range of, of um, plants that will actually tolerate the shade. So look for that. It'll be specifically... It's a bit like lawn seed. You can get lawn seed that'll grow in the shade as well. So yeah, you can get a box of wildflower seed and that'll tolerate the shade, no problem. Okay, a couple of questions on dahlias. Um, okay. Can I still plant dahlia bul- bulbs? I see buds on the bulbs I have or is it too late? And also question from Mavis on sowing dahlia seeds indoors now and will they flower this year? Oh, they will, yes, yeah. So if you go grow the single flowering dahlias from seed, so they're the annual dahlias, they, they tend to last one year, but they're a great plant for bees. So sow them indoors because they are frost sensitive. So again, get out a seed tray or a pot or a container, sow the seed, cover them with a little bit of cling film, make sure the compost is moist but not too wet, put them on a bright scent, windowsill and they'll be up in 10 days or two weeks. Plant them out then at the beginning of June and they should come into flower about the end of June, early July, but they'll flower till October and the single flowering dahlias, they grow to about maybe a foot in height, very bushy, lots of colour, but they're brilliant for bees as well. So if you want to get a little bit of wildlife into your garden, particularly the honeybee absolutely loves single flowering dahlias. In relation to the tubers, the bulbs, it's not too late. You can still, again, I would pot them up into a potting compost, keep them inside 
outside um, for maybe three or four weeks and then plant them out of doors. So if people have bulbs in the garage um, that they purchased back in the early spring, pot them up now, things like lilies, begonias, dahlias, and start them off, kickstart them with a view to planting them out then in early June. Now, what can I feed an indoor calla lily to promote uh, flowers? It has lots of green leaves. Well, probably the best, you want a high potash feed. So actually one of the tomato feeds would, would be ideal or the Osmo Universal feed. So a high, when you look at fertiliser, <clears throat> they tend to have NPK on the back of the analysis. Mm-hmm. So you want something with a high K, a high potassium level. So tomato feeds are always high in potassium and that would, the calla lily will, will respond to that very well. Um, it, it's an indoor, it's an indoor variety, is it, that they have? It is. Isn't it? It's an indoor, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. So that's right. fine. Yeah, yeah. So the, so the uh, liquid tomato feed every two weeks, that'll get it back into, into flower. Now I have a lovely display of flowers or I had in the spring thanks to setting bulbs, daffodils, tulips, crocus, etc. They've all died back now. So what would you suggest, uh, what other bulbs can I set in the same area so that I kind of colour through the autumn each year? Oh, autumn flowering. Well, it's the, the nearines. Remember we talked about the yes, nearines last, last week. week they're, yeah. they're probably one of the best autumn flowering um, bulbs. Now, the you'll probably, probably find it difficult to get them now. They've been selling since January. So again, check in your local garden centre. They may still have some. I think we might have some nearines left. They come in shades of, of rich pinks, pinks light yeah. pinks and whites, believe it or not. Three different colours and they flower, generally start coming into flower the end of August, September, October, that sort of period. Autumn flowering crocuses, they'll come into the garden centres in August. They can be planted at that time of year and will flower before Christmas. Agapanthus, it's more it's grown more from a, a tuber rather than a bulb, but it's um, a lovely it's the African lily. If you plant it now, it will come into flower July, August, September, that sort of period as well. Cyclamen, the, the autumn flowering cyclamen, which are quite low. Um, again, check in your local garden centre. They may have some. Plant them now and again they'll flower in autumn. So yeah. There's, there's quite a range, but there's plenty of other plants, perennial plants that you could also plant, like many of the plants that we mentioned already, the salvias yeah. and geums and um, lupins, well, lupins would be gone out of flower, alstroberries would still be flowering in the autumn, um, you know, so there'll be quite a, quite a number of both perennial plants and some bulbs that you could plant for autumn colour. Okay, so when I walk down country roads, I see beautiful flowers that seem to be growing out of walls. There's purple and white ones. Do you know what they're called? And can I buy them from the garden centre? Okay, well, it sounds like the the, uh, the plants that are in flower at the moment are things like the arabus, the white arabus, or brescia is beautiful at the moment. It's got lovely purple flowers and it'll cascade down over walls or dry stone areas or banks or whatever. Campanula is another beautiful blue flowering plant that's just in flower at the moment. And again, creates that carpet effect and drips down over the walls. So kind of giving you that um, rockery type uh, alpine effect. effect. Yes. Um, so there's lots of, of those sorts of plants available. And yes, you can plant them at this so, time of year. Obrisha. Uh, well, you've got Obrisha, you've got Arabus, you've got yellow, a lovely yellow plant called yellow alisum. You've got Campanula, which is a purpley blue colour. Again, it cascades down. So they create like a kind of a, a carpet effect mm. over the stone walls and just draped down over the face of the wall. They're alpine plants and they 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 grow in the Alps. So they're like so that kind of rocky, they don't dry... Need much, they don't need much soil, really. No, they don't. And they're quite hardy. Uh, they're very, you know, they're frost, they're perennials. Yeah. They come back year after year. Better planted in kind of clusters. So putting the in groups of maybe threes or fives. There's a, a house on the way into Knock 
and it has planted the, f- the whole front of it is planted with Aubrisha. I was admiring it actually last Saturday. It's on the right hand side as I'm coming from Ballyhonus as you come into um, to knock, mm. and the whole face of the garden is, fil- is planted with Aubrisha. Yeah. I mean, just absolutely I d- stunning. I do, I do think it's a lovely look myself. It, it is. It's it's that kind of yeah old yeah. cottage garden yeah. type of look, yeah. um, but it, they're easy to grow once once you get them going. So Arabus Aubrisha. Uh, the Blue Campania, Yellow Alisum, pop into your local garden centre, ask them to show you. Flocks is another one, the ground covering flocks, which is just coming into flower at the moment as well. Or Helianthemum, the Sun Rose, which is another good one. So there's lots of really good ones. But plant them in clusters is really... To get yeah, the effect. To get the effect, exactly. Now, can I sow vegetable marrows, I think it is, and where might I be able to buy them, asks Teresa. Well, you, you'll buy them in any local garden centre this time of year. Remember, Teresa, that they are frost sensitive, so you cannot plant them out of doors yet. Do remember that they're quite hungry plants. They need plenty of space. Um, so I would plant them out in early June. You could actually still sow the seed of marrow at this time of year and courgettes. They're in the same family. Um, so sow the seed indoors now they come in varieties of green of yellow uh, even white varieties kind of lime green or white varieties and so the marrow produces that really big they're big they're huge and brilliant they're lovely cooked you can slice them up and fry them and all that um, but they sow the seed now indoors transplant them out in early June give them plenty of space they're quite hungry feeders and then as they're producing the marrows sit them up on a stone or a pot because they need to be up off the ground otherwise if they're sitting on the soil it tends to rot them so apart from that dead easy to grow Um, each plant will cover about a square metre of space so plenty of plenty of space for them great favourite for entering into the uh, different sections of the agricultural shows exactly and great one for kids as well because the seeds are quite large for marrows to sow so they're you know from a tactile point of view they'll see the the actual sowing they'll germinate in two or three weeks indoors and then for planting them out they'll end up beautiful bright yellow flowers and then fantastic fruit in the autumn and they'll have you know they'll be cutting them kind of late August September Okay. Our new ash trees are not thriving. What can we give them to help them grow? Well, remember that ash comes into leaf late and and, uh, particularly this year, I've noticed ash is quite slow to come into leaf. So just because it's not in full leaf doesn't mean that it's um, struggling. So that's the first thing I would say. Um, So, you know, ash comes into kind of full leaf by the end of May. Now, you'll help it by giving it a feed at this time of year and making sure there's no grass or weeds at the base of the tree. So make sure you clean that away, that you have nice clean soil at the base of the of the uh, stem of the plant at ground level because that'll only compete with it. And put on a handful of Osmo uh, Pro 6 fertiliser and that'll give it a bit of a boost. But ash is slow to come into leaf. And I know, uh, somebody else I noticed, I just can't find the question now because we have uh, just such a volume in this morning, which is great. They were asking about ash dieback. What, yeah, what that is, is a disease of of um, of ash trees and same with um, horse chestnut. Horse chestnut is suffering all over the world from um, a blight on the fungus disease. They're both fungal diseases and, and no cure for them. So um, mature ash trees in particular are being affected by ash disease and, and chestnut trees are. So with on chestnuts, typically when it comes into leaf, it creates, the, the, the leaf has blotches of brown uh, stain on the actual uh, leaf of the of the plant. Now, young horse chestnut, you can spray it with a foot fungus clear to help to re- prevent it. But it is a it's a difficult disease to control. And same with ash dieback. Literally, the trees just start to die back, and you get dead pieces of branches. Okay. And unfortunately, there's nothing that can be done for them. 
we're no. probably going to see a lot of ash dying Do, over the next number of years. Okay, yeah. just because it's, yeah. it's so prevalent. Yeah. Uh, what would give me a lot of colour for two large blue glazed pots? Family occasion next weekend, so I need something quick and colourful. <laughs> <Instant>. Panic on! <laughs> well, if you want something really blousy and, and very colourful, um, the Paris daisies. Well, the Paris daisies are, are lovely at the moment. They're a daisy-like flower, but they produce hundreds of flowers on the plant and make this big ball of colour. Um, so they're available in garden centres at the moment. And one big plant of it would, would certainly fill a large container. If you want a little bit of scent, you could mix it with some of these Nemesia yeah, that we mentioned, the Wisley vanilla. So you could put the, the um, Paris daisy right in the centre for, for effect and then put some of these guys in around the base of it just for scent and for colour as well. But again, pop into your local garden centre. There's loads of great colour available at the moment. So there's lots of plants just bursting into flower at the moment. Somebody wondering about what flowering rose might they be able to plant in a pot? Nothing too high now as it's windy, but something with scent if possible. Okay, well, there's a, there's a, a patio rose called Carefree Days, which is a nice pink rose. Lovely. Carefree Days. It only grows a foot in height. Um, pink flowers, scented, easy to grow. It's just on the point of flowering now. It'll, it'll, again, it'll flower right through to the end of the summer. You could also put a couple of the carpet roses in, the flower mm. carpet roses. They're low, very hardy, very tough, and they come in four different colours or five different colours now. Um, and again, very tough and, and hardy. So, Carefree Days is a patio rose or with a little bit of height, so it'll grow about a foot in height with lovely pink flowers or um, the carpet roses carpet would be roses. ideal. But any of the, par- the, any of the patio roses would, would be suitable. Now, um, somebody wondering about palm trees uh, and can you plant palm trees at any, at any time of year? I suppose palm trees, we tend to think of palm trees. Depends is it what the, they mean. Yes, yeah. it, different lot, kinds of palm trees, aren't yeah, there? So Palm Sunday, you know, typically it's the conifers, confer, yeah. you know, things like Lelandia yeah. or, you know, conifers like Yvonne or whatever that... that um, so look at the answer is, depending, and, and then you've got the tropical palm trees, the true palm thing. Uh, the big, trees. The, big, the big, the phoenix yeah, palms, yeah. yeah. Or people often call the cordlines palm trees as mm. well because they've got that kind of stately palm-like. To be honest, all of them can be planted at this time of year. We're actually in a really good time of year for planting anything, be it climbers or trees or shrubs or hedging. Soil conditions are still very workable, but there's plenty of moisture in the soil as well, and that's really what you want. So there's no problem planting this weekend if you want or next week or you know over the next couple of weeks we've got really good the only time you'd avoid is the type of summer we had last year if it was really really dry, dry. or excessively wet but apart from that you can plant um, those every other time yeah. <laughs> after that but the weather conditions just at the moment are absolutely perfect soil conditions now uh, we have some ornamental lilies they suffered frost damage will they come back yeah they will that'll be only a temporary setback they'll reshoot again and, and be perfectly fine give them a couple of liquid feeds and that'll kick them back into growth again Okay, would it be safe enough to set out geraniums yet? No. No. Okay, that's fine. So keep uh, them in. Keep them in, keep them in, or keep them covered. Fine in pots and containers yeah. that you can bring in, but if you're planting them, a border them, leave them for another two weeks. Wait till the first, the June bank holiday is a, is a, is a good time to do it. Put that circle on your calendar. Yeah. I planted foxgloves about five years ago and they flowered beautifully for a while. However, they didn't bloom after that. To my amazement, I have seven or eight of them this year ready to bloom. Why did this happen? I thought they were dead. <laughs> Well, foxgloves are, are more... Nice surprise. Yeah, absolutely. Foxgloves are more uh, a biennial plant, I suppose, rather than a perennial, in that they tend to be short-lived in... So when you plant a, a foxglove, it flowers for maybe one or two years, and then it becomes exhausted, and it tends to, to reseed. So I, my guess is that the, the listener is seeing some of the seed 
that was dropped maybe last year or the year before germinating now and growing and remember if you sow the seed of foxglove at this time of year it takes it a full year to come back into flower now to help them flower longer and to, to build strength back into the foxglove plants once they go out of flower about the end of June that's the time to cut them back stop them from producing seed and the plant itself will put all the energy into producing new foliage and building up a stronger root for the following year but they are a they tend to be short-lived. They're not, uh, you know, I suppose, a long-lived perennial like some of the Alstromerias or, or Peony Roses or Delphiniums that tend to go, go on for years. Now, I've dug up some wild daffodils. Should I cut off all the green and put them in my garden shed till I'm ready to plant? Well, as long as the, the, the daffodils have died back properly, um, what I would do is if you've got a place to plant them, I would plant them in the garden um, where, where you'd like them to flower next uh, spring. So if you have a spot in the garden that you want to fill with daffodils to flower them, to flower next spring, put them into the gar- garden soil now. Alternatively, you can store them and, and just let them dry and they will store fine and, and replant them then in August, September. But there's no problem dif- digging up daffodils or any bulb at this time of year and dividing it and transplanting it, replanting it back into the garden soil and it'll flower there then next year. And daffodils that are not dying back, uh, lots of them had no flowers this year either. What can I do, please? Liquid feed them. Just build them up for next year. So now if if their clumps are very large and you need to divide them, if they're there for a long time and they're quite thick clumps, this will be the time of year to dig them physically up, split them up and replant them without cutting back any of the foliage uh, into a new area and that'll give them space to develop Alternatively, give them a, a good liquid feed as well. Build the bulbs up for next year and that'll help to, to set the flowers um, before they die back fully. Would grow more be an okay food for strawberries? Well, strawberries don't need too much feeding. They're only at the flowering stage really at this time of year and, and they're just beginning to set their fruit. So my advice always with strawberries is to leave them alone until the fruit is, is um, about the size of a marble. So wait, wait till they go completely out of flower. Once the fruit is forming, start feeding them then. I prefer to use a liquid feed. The grow more, uh, if it's granulated, you run the risk of burning the, um, the strawberry plants. So my advice really is to use a liquid feed in about two weeks time be soon enough to start feeding your strawberries. Otherwise, you tend to get lots of foliage at the expense of flower and fruit. Okay. So a little bit of hardship for the strawberry for the first couple of weeks. And then once it starts setting its fruit, give it the liquid feed, a tomato feed or the Osmo Universal will plump mm-hmm. them up. Now, I know we tend to advocate uh, mm. for to allow the dandelions to stay where they are in the garden. Of course we do. However, uh, some people aren't all that fond of them. So my mum's garden has a great amount of dandelions growing. Is there any way of keeping them from growing? You know that the dandelion, every part of it is edible. I didn't know that. There you go. No. Every part. The leaf can be used in salads. The flower can be used in salads. So every part of it. Is, is edible. Now they do call it the pissy bed as well, don't they? They do call it that, <laughs> I, yes, I, I. <laughs> So anyway, look at the, the I suppose tr- da- dandelions are getting great favour at the moment because again, I suppose with the trend in, in um, encouraging bees to the garden, they're one of the best uh, uh, pollen producers, particularly in early spring in March and April when the bees are very hungry and hence they're a, they're a plant that's favoured by the beekeepers and by Mm -hmm. wildlife enthusiasts in in general. So for that reason, we try to encourage them as much as possible. 
But if you but insist... If you insist on getting rid of them, then you, you will get uh, weed killers that will okay. control them. And, and if you need to do that, then this is the time of year to do just, that. Okay. I'm just wondering about my gooseberry trees. Uh, they're doing well. Uh, last year, we had lovely green leaves full of flowers. And then within two weeks, the leaves were all gone. Yeah. I checked them out. It looks like they were attacked by something like caterpillars. Are they going to attack this year? Yes, or can I spray them with something? Spray them with something you can. So this is and um, this is very common with gooseberry. So listeners that has gooseberries in the garden, there's two things they get. They get the gooseberry sawfly, which is a small caterpillar, like the listener says, that's laid in the inside, right in the centre of the gooseberry plant. So you can go out one day and it looks perfectly fine. Go out three or four days later and it's skeleton. Tonized, the, all the leaves were, are munched off the um, off the gooseberries, and obviously that sets it back. And generally, gooseberries get that every year. So you can use use something like the Bug Clear, which is a very safe organic spray for uh, gooseberries and fruiting plants in general. So that apply that now. Right, make sure that you put it in the centre of the plant and and let it and work it out as it were, um, and cover the leaves with it, and that will control the uh, gooseberry sawfly. The other thing that gooseberries get is gooseberry mildew, which is a, um, a fungus that comes on the leaf of the plant. And again, you can use one of the fungicides just to prevent that. Actually, if you have a little bit of rose clear hmm. in the garden, that's on the shed, that will do both. It'll control the, the caterpillar and it will also control the um, the disease, okay. the, the, the fungal disease. Uh, somebody wondering, have you have any <clears throat> thoughts on why red robin plants go to flower? Because uh, the function of any, any plant... Is to create flowers. The function of any plant reproduce. is to reproduce itself. So all plants flower. Of course, Photinia, again, it's, it's kind of on the theme that we, 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 we spoke about weeks and weeks ago. Because of the good summer we had last year, we're seeing plants that typically wouldn't flower, like laurels, ordinary common hedging laurel. Um, the cherries were magnificent this year. And Photinia is no different. It's producing flowers because of the really good summer last year and uh, sit back and enjoy them. Okay. Enjoy the flowers. They always, they will flower, particularly as mature plants and uh, with Photinia, it's the type of plant, once it goes out of flower, my advice is to give it a, a trim back and you get a lovely flush of new red growth, particularly if you feed them. Okay, I'm sorry. So it's nothing unusual, it's not that it's, un- it is, I suppose, unusual this year, but it's not, it's not out of the, out of the ordinary. We have to live there, I'm afraid. Oh yes, my we God. are. Time is, time is, the time is against us. Today, yep. If people are being the garden centre in Turlock from 12 through till 6 today, if people want to pop down, have a chat, or want to bring anything into me to, to identify. That's great. Pork, thanks very much. Pork will be back next week. I'm on a little one week break, but Viv will be with us uh, on the programme next week. So, uh, all in good hands, I think, there. Thanks for your company over the past couple of hours. Stand by, Michael Neary is coming your way next after the news at 10. Very best in country, right through until one here on Midwest Radio on this Saturday morning. Good morning to you.